Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Hallelujah. Thanks be to God. I want to talk to you this morning about the glory of God. The glory of God. We're going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 4. This is from the English Standard Version of the Bible about two individuals, the Ark of the Covenant, their father, and so on. So let's look in 1 Samuel chapter 4. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and they fled, every man to his home. And there was a very great slaughter, for there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. Think about that, 30,000. And the Ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli... Hophni and Phinehas died. A man of Benjamin ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes torn and with dirt on his head. When he arrived, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told the news, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the sound of the outcry, he said, what is this uproar? Then the man hurried and came and told Eli. Now Eli was 98 years old, and his eyes were set so that he could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am he who has come from the battle. I fled from the battle today. And he said, How did it go, my son? He who brought the news answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has also been a great defeat among the people. Your two sons also Hophni and Phinehas are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. As soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backward from his seat by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. For the man was old and heavy. He had judged Israel forty years. Now his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant, about to give birth, and when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed bowed and gave birth, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the woman attending her said to her, Do not be afraid, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer or pay attention, and she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel, because the ark of God had been captured, and because of her father-in-law and her husband, And she said, the glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. Boy, there's a lot in that, isn't there? One of the things I thought of first was, it's Eli, when he heard, not that basically his sons were dead, but when the ark was captured, he really got flustered and fell over and died. And then also, when she heard, Phineas' wife, that Phineas' wife heard that the ark was captured, now, I was, in my mind, thinking that Phineas, you would think that the son that was born maybe would have and bear the father's name. But no, she said Ichabod, which means Ichabod means uh, the glory is departed or departed glory or without glory. Hmm. Well, if you're a devout Jewish person, one name, one word you do not want to hear is Ichabod. 
you see, the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence and the glory of God. It was God's manifested presence among them. There is a difference between God's omnipresence. Omnipresence means He's everywhere. And His manifested presence. That means in a tangible way, He is making Himself known. Whether it be when the glory was seen. Or if you recall when Jesus said uh, to, I believe it was Lazarus' sister. If you believe, didn't I say you'd see the glory of God? And in what way did they see the glory of God when Lazarus was raised from the dead? It wasn't a visible, like there's a cloud that they, see, that they saw. But it was a work of God, a manifestation of the power and the glory of God that accomplished a purpose in the will of, the, of God, which brought him back from the dead. But here, of course, the manifested presence of God was now departed from them. Now, the omnipresence of God can't depart from anything or anyone because he's everywhere all the time. But when it comes to the manifested presence of God, it can depart. Now, it was this Ark of the Covenant that housed the glory of God, the presence of God, the power of God, the manifestation of God that separated Israel from other nations of the world. See, to them, it meant they were invincible before their enemies. In other words, they had a God who wasn't a God made like the others of wood, maybe covered with gold or silver or whatever, that they had somewhere in a cave or someplace that they bowed to in a temple. Because they have ears, but they don't hear. They have eyes, but they don't see. They have hands, but they can't reach out and help. They have feet, maybe, but they can't walk. No, the God of Israel was a living God. His presence was among them, and His presence would manifest among them, and His presence would defend them and fight for them and go before them. And we see that when they came out of Egypt, how there was a separation between the Israelites and the Egyptians because the presence and the power and the glory and the majesty of the living God was there between them to keep them separated. A cloud by day, a fire by night. So it meant that the glory was there. But now the Ark of the Covenant has been captured and taken away. And what that meant was there is no longer any presence of the glory of God. The presence of God. The power of God. The manifested presence of God to help them and meet them in their time of need. To give us a better, let's say, visual of this. Remember in Judges chapter 16. Let's look at the life of Samson just for a moment here. Remember, you know Samson. He's the one that... Killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey, remember? And if you think about that feat, when 1,000 individuals are coming against you and all you've got is a jawbone of a donkey and you were able to overcome 1,000 individuals successfully, it's more than human power, wouldn't you agree? It's the power of God. It's the might of God. Well, of course, he had a weakness and his weakness was women. And when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up this once, for he had showed me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came upon unto her and brought money in their hand. And she made him sleep upon her knees, and she called for a man, and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head, and she began to afflict him, and his strength went from him. Notice, his strength went from him. He revealed the fact that like the Ark of the Covenant that housed the presence of God, his long hair, the, the, the locks of his hair represented the very presence, power, and you could say the glory of God in his life. So his strength went from him. 
she began to afflict him. He went from him. And she said, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he woke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as the other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. In other words, Ichabod. But the Philistines took him, put out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza, and bound him with fetters of brass, and he did grind in the prison house. Well, once his hair was removed, just like once the ark was removed, he became just like an ordinary man. And once the glory was removed, Israel became just like an ordinary nation. Think about it. How precious then is the presence, the power and the glory, the manifestation of the strength of the God that we serve beyond words and beyond comprehension. These are two examples that reveal to us the fact that the glory can depart, yes, from a nation and also from an individual. But you know what? Jesus made mention of this just like Eli was warned. If you study this out, you'll find out that Eli was warned that his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were going to die in the same day. They were scoundrels, by the way. They didn't serve God, didn't love God, disobeyed God, did many things against the, the will of God, the plan of God, the purpose of God. They took lightly the things of God. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But anyhow, Jesus made mention of the fact that the glory can depart and the glory would depart. Look at the book of Matthew, chapter 23. You remember when Jesus went into the temple in the beginning of his ministry, then at the end of his ministry, he cleaned house and he said, my house, my father's house is a house of purity, prayer, power, and perfected praise. You remember that? Notice he said, my father's house or my house shall be called a house of prayer, purity, prayer, power, perfected praise. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is left. Notice, behold, whose house? Whose house? Notice he didn't say my father's house this time. Notice he didn't say my house this time. But he says, your house is left unto you desolate, deserted, empty, Ichabod. Well, now wait a minute. There were still people going in and out of the house. What's he talking about? The departed glory. The departed presence of God was lifted from among them. And when did that occur? Matthew 27, verses 50 and 51. Notice what it says. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. When that occurred, when Jesus died, and that temple curtain was rent in twain from top to bottom, it wasn't the high priest that left. It wasn't the priests that did the service that left. It wasn't those that, maybe women that served in a certain way in the temple or whatever, they didn't leave. But who left? The presence of God. The glory of God that was housed in the Ark of the Covenant that the high priest could only go into once a year. That presence was no longer there. It left. 
Look at verse 39 now of Matthew 23. Can we pull that up? For I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth till you shall say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, I'm leaving, and when I leave, I'm taking my glory with me. And when I leave with my glory and I go back to heaven, your house will be left to you, Ichabod. Empty, desolate, deserted of my presence. You can still come in and do all that you think you want to do. You can go through the rituals and the emotions and all that. You can go through it all, but I will not be there. And you won't see me again till that day. You lift up your eyes and you see me as the son of almighty God whose blood was shed for your redemption. That's when you'll see me again. Imagine that. Empty house, desolate of the Shekinah glory of God. And so what were they left to do for the next so many years until AD 70? They went through the motions, sacrificing animals, no glory, no presence, no power of God. No interaction with the living God. Can you see that? All right. Look in 2 Timothy. If the glory can depart, say from a nation, if it can depart from an individual like Samson, and think about just that comparison between the unshorn Samson and the shorn Samson, who can kill a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a, of a donkey, and yet without the glory and the power of God, what can he do? Nothing. He's found wanting. He's grinding at the mill of the enemy blind. There's good news in that, in the sense that when he repented, the glory came back. Did it not? But what a time. Of course, it was for his own death as well. But anyhow, look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is from the New Living Translation of the Bible. This is talking about the end times. This is talking about the latter days that we're living in right now. And boy, look at this when we read this. If it doesn't speak of today and what's going on in our world today. You shall know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred they will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends and be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Ooh, let me read that again. They will act religious, but they will reject the power, the glory that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Do you remember earlier he said to Timothy also, there'll be a form of godliness, but they'll deny the power, the life-changing, the life-giving power thereof. So in other words, when you have the absence of the glory in the presence of the living God, what do you have? You've got spiritual poverty among the people. Yes, they can go through the motions of the singing and the worshiping and all that seems to be right, the reading of scriptures or maybe even the preaching of a, of a little message here and there. But 
where the glory is not there, where the power is not there. I sat in church for 24 years. I never saw the presence of God in manifestation. I never saw the power of God in manifestation. I just sat there bored out of my mind watching flies land on people's heads. And when I got a little bit nervous and I got so antsy and I wanted to get up and walk out of the church service, which was only 45 minutes long at that time, and in a language I didn't understand. To me, it could have been tongues because I had no idea what language it was. I didn't understand anything. And then when I get a little bit, you know, I'm, I'm a young boy at the time and I'm getting rough, just like anybody else would, getting antsy and frustrated and all that and, you know, probably doing things I shouldn't have been doing, you know, maybe laughing and that. I had just a lot of good times, but my mother gave me a pinch with a twist. If you've never had one, be thankful to God. I knew she was really mad when I got the twist. See, the pinch was one thing. The first time maybe you get the pinch. But then the pinch with the twist. Oh, that spoke volumes to me. I said, I better shape up for the next 15 minutes or I'm, I'm, I've had it. My mother may be small, probably about 4'8 or something like that. She's not like me. She's just about 4'8. But she had an arm that could stretch around. It, it could go around corners. It can't even go out the, the door. When I try to run, it can go out the door and just chase you down the street like that. And just elastic. It was elastic. Just pull you right back. And if I was quick enough to get down the stairs before, you know, she could make the bend, she always had that shoe in her hand, a slipper or something like that. And I thought I was home free until it hit me in the back of the head. With the, and I thought, oh, my goodness. Anyhow. Oh, glory. You know what I'm talking about, right? All right, I'm glad you know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> Beloved, I have a desire. And I've been really meditating this. My desire is to see God's glory rest upon our nation once again. My desire is not for the glory to depart from the United States of America. I mean that. With all my heart, I mean that. I'll be honest with you. It's my desire that the glory not depart from any church in America, including this one, or any individual, including all of us here. And why am I saying that? Because the manifested presence of God is something different than just the omnipresence of God. When my son Dante was speaking yesterday at the men's breakfast, I'll tell you what, you missed a wonderful, wonderful testimony of his life. Not just his healing from Crohn's, but I told him just this morning, I said, son, when I was sitting there listening to you talk, all of a sudden, what flashed before my eyes, I have a picture in my office of Carly and Dante. This is before Andrew was born. He must be three, something like that, and she's five or, or four and six somewhere. And... I just confirmed this with my wife this morning. You never try to get your little ones to sit still for a picture. Okay? You know what I'm talking about? Well, they weren't. They were just doing their own thing and all that. And finally, she's trying to bribe them and everything. And all of a sudden, Carly hugs him. And he's hugging her. He's down there and she's up there. And they're hugging just like that. And the photographer saw it and snapped it. And so I, I said, when you were speaking, 
that flashed before my eyes. That little four-year-old, adorable little boy whose hair is almost as big as it is here today. <laughs> almost, not quite, but for some reason this is a family trait. Our hair doesn't grow down, it grows out. Trust me, if I let it grow, it grows out. One day, who knows? <laughs> Anyhow, but I'm thinking in my mind, here is this young man talking about his walk with God in a phenomenal way. Even sharing some things that I didn't even know about him, myself. How he would come here. I'm going to have him give his testimony here. Soon. Sitting at a parking lot, praying in the Holy Ghost, seeing a manifestation of the Spirit of God take place as he's sitting out there. He, he had been, what, 16, 17, 18, 18, 19. He's 19 now, so we're talking about 18 years old, whatever, 17. When other kids are out doing whatever they're doing, my son's getting picked up by the police because he's sitting in our church parking lot. And they said, what are you doing here? Praying. Oh, okay. And they left. Right? Amen. Isn't that great? Isn't that great to hear? But here that little boy in my office in that picture is sharing his encounters with God. And like I said, I won't go any further with that. But he did bring one thing to my remembrance. See, sometimes we forget these things, which is why I want to bring out the glory when it comes to healing. We can't afford to be without the presence, the glory of God. I was sitting at his basketball game, and this was at the middle school. And I've watched him play basketball since he was very, very young. And I'm sitting there behind uh, some of the others. And the team is right in front in the front row. And while they're playing the game, he, I never saw this happen. He came down on someone else's ankle or some, some way he came down. And, whoa, he heard a snap. He had, he had two players pick him up, carry him off the court. When I saw him being carried off the court, it wasn't, I knew it was something more than a sprain. And finally, he sat down next to the trainer on the bench. And I looked down and he looked, finally the trainer checked him out and they looked back at me. He said, you probably got to take him to the hospital, it's broken. Well, it's just these moments. Now, we're talking a basketball game with another team and all these people that are there at the game. And I just walked down, put my hands on his ankle in the name of Jesus. He said he felt a presence, a heat, and heard a snap. And when he did, he looked over to the trainer and said, I'm good. I can play now. Now, remember, he just got carried off. Couldn't even walk. And the trainer said, what? He goes, yeah, I, I'm, I'm good now. I can play now. So... He said, well, stand up. He stands up. He says, I want you to go in the hallway. I want you to jump and touch, touch the ceiling. What, 10 times or something like that? I mean, that. So he walks out in the hall, jumps up in the air, and lands on it up and down, up and down, up and down. He goes, you're good. Go play. So he goes back into the game and scores 20 points. <clears throat> What's the point? It's one thing to have the omnipresence but it's another thing to have the manifested presence 
when there is a tangible anointing that is life-giving, life-changing, healing, that brings conviction to the sinner, that brings deliverance to the, those that are afflicted and bound and liberates them. You see, I don't want to be an ordinary church. I don't want to be an ordinary person. I want to be a Holy Ghost, glory-filled church and person with the power, the anointing, and the glory of the living God. My goal, praise God, is that God's glory rests upon this place. My goal, praise God, for all of us is that our worship is so inhabited with the presence of God, which is why we're going to worship in just a moment here. I want it to just be so inhabited with the tangible presence and anointing and the glory of the living God that it's so impacting that it touches our hearts in, in such a powerful way that it penetrates our souls in such a powerful way that we know when we leave that God was in the house today. Can you say amen? God was in the house today. Anybody can go to a place, like I said, I used to go to just walk in. You're upset when you walk in. You're upset when you walk out. You're upset during the whole particular time because there's nothing to understand. It's all boring. There's nothing that's going on and all that. You're not even being taught. You must be born again. You're not taught about the Holy Ghost. You're not taught about how you can have an encounter with God whatsoever. See, I want to come to church when I can say, I heard thus saith the Lord today, praise God. I heard the Holy Ghost speak to my heart, praise God. I saw the glory just flood my soul, amen. And I moved to go out here and forgive somebody. I moved to release that person. I moved to go out there and pray for somebody. Mm, man, I don't know about you. Okay. What promotes the faded or departed glory of God? Because we'll, we'll approach it here quickly and then... As uh, we're led of the Lord, we'll talk about what promotes having it. But what promotes it fading? Because we want to avoid that. Sometimes you can learn just by doing that, right? Let's avoid this. Let's avoid that. Why? Because we want greater glory. Okay, number one. Viewing the ark as a good luck charm or like a, a rabbit's foot. Look in 1 Samuel chapter 4 and begin at verse 4. So the people went to Shiloh. And brought from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. Would you say they were excited? Why? Because the ark's there. And why are they excited? Because the ark represents what? The glory, the power, and the majesty of the living God who fights for them, who defends them, who's gone before them, right? And so they are so enthusiastic because surely victory is ours, right? Let's read on. Is there any more? <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll comment it. You reread the rest of it. What happens is it's there, but nothing happens. 30,000 footmen die. They went through the motions. You see, these two individuals and many others, they treated this Ark of the Covenant as if it were a good luck charm. They weren't bringing it there to serve, worship, or reverence the presence and the glory of God. 
No, they were there because we're in trouble now. And we need the ark. How many of you know that God wants to be loved? God wants to be worshipped and adored and served. And not just be somewhere on the shelf waiting for a time that you're in trouble. I'm in trouble. And just go grab it and say, come on, Lord, go, go sick him. You know what these two scoundrels were doing? They were eating the meat of the sacrifice, the parts of the meat that they were instructed of the Lord. Do not touch that part of the sacrifice. But you see, they had their own rules. They had their own regulations. They were going to do it their way and not God's way. It didn't matter. So in other words, this ark to them wasn't a holy thing. It was just a good luck charm. They were also committing adultery with the women that were doing service at the tabernacle. How about that? And Eli, their father, knew this, but yet said nothing about it. So in other words, here they are, these scoundrels, doing their own thing, not loving God, serving God, worshiping God, honoring God, living for God. But in their time of dire need and trouble, they felt that Jesus, all we need to do is get the ark, get the ark and put it over here. That's all there is to it. And then we're going to be successful in overcoming our enemy. No, that leads to faded glory, presumption, and manipulation. They were presumptuous and manipulating, thinking they can just do whatever they want. But then when they needed God, they'll get, make God do what they want them to do. You can't live in sin and make God to do something for you. What they should have done before they brought the ark, bowed before the ark, and said, I repent. Lord, I'm so sorry. Can you see that? All right, number two, viewing the ark as a trophy. In 1 Samuel chapter 5, notice this first. And the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer unto Ashdod. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon. Dagon was the fish god and set it by Dagon. Isn't that something? The fish god. Half man, half fish. Yeah, that's my god. <laughs> something fishy about that right I'm not going to go any further than that okay and when they of Ashdod arose early on the morrow behold Dagon was fallen upon his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord and they took Dagon Dagon and set him in his place again and when they rose early on the morrow morning, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. And his, the head of Dagon and both his palms of his hands were cut off the threshold. Only the stump of Dagon was left to him. Therefore, neither the priests of Dagon nor any that come into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod unto this day. So among their many collection of gods, they take the Ark of the Covenant, represents the glory of God, the living God, and put him in there as if he's just another trophy. Now this Dagon, who was the fish god, who was the god of Baal and I mean all these, the Philistines rather, they, if you read on in Judges in chapter 6, they are the ones that shout and praise because why? It was he who helped them overcome Samson, their, their feared enemy, who killed all their people. And now it was Dagon that did this for them. 
But you see what they found out when they put him next to Dagon and all the other false images that they had there? He fell. He got hurt a little bit the first time. He fell apart the second time. Let me ask you a question. What kind of person or a, a person who says, this is my God, has to go pick up his God and repair his God? <laughs> Wait a minute. My God fell down and broke his hip. I could... <laughs> I'm going to get him back in his place and then we're going to have him, we're going to pray to him. <laughs> I'm like, really? <laughs> That's your God? Wow. Oh my. I don't know about you, but I don't think I'd want to serve a God that can't stand up. <sighs> well, if he can't stand up to the pressure, right? Oh my, 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 my. Look, it also tells me this. God is the living God, and that ark represented the manifest presence of God, and he's not someone's trophy. He will have no gods before him. No gods before him. No God will stand before him. There is no God qualified to stand before the living God that we serve. You know the commandment, I am the Lord thy God, and there are no other gods before me. All right. Then number three, esteeming the ark lightly. Look in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 6, and this is really where it hits home. He smote the men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. Now remember, you have to understand this. This is the ark that was in the temple. This is the ark that only the high priest could go into. This is the ark that had been carried a certain way. This was the same ark that you do not touch, that you don't look into. You don't lift up the lid. You don't. Do Rules and regulations and guidelines were established and set that they were to honor and obey. But they looked to the ark, into the ark, even he smote of the people 50,000 and threescore and ten men. And the people lamented because the Lord had smitten many of the people with a great slaughter. And the best way to say this is when we or when a person disobeys God and his orders and, and does not treat his presence, his power as, he, as they should. And he then is forced to remove his hand. We are told that what came upon them were certain plagues. Plagues came upon their bodies, sore plagues that ate out their flesh, and they died as a result of it. In other words, when God removes his hand completely because you don't want to obey my laws, and boom, he removes his hand, you're not under that umbrella protection of grace any longer, and he removes his hand, you're exposed to the full curse that will come into a person's life. And that's exactly what happened to these people, and they died. 53, over 53,000 people died. Why? They treated the ark of the Lord with disdain. And disrespect. In other words, we're going to do it our way. It's okay to do it our way. Well, even though they didn't, didn't respect him or his instructions, does it mean that we don't have to? Why, what am I getting to? We too can disrespect the glory and the presence of God. We can actually have an attitude that really causes Ichabod that really can create a deserted place. Oh, I'm not saying people will still come in, people will still uh, worship or sing a song and have a message preached. 
Of course, you know I'm not talking about this place. Because we give place to the glory of God. We give place to the Holy Spirit. You know, honestly, when I hear some things like this, and I, I realize people have different levels of spirituality and spiritual growth, but when we've had some moves of God here and people were just falling under the power of God, lying on the floor under the power of the Most High God, you've heard me say that we had a, a woman that was healed, of, her daughter, her, her child was healed of spina bifida in her womb and she's lying on the floor here under the anointing of God. But in the same scenario, we've got people coming and just saying, get out of that church, get out of that church, it's crazy, you're crazy, you're crazy. You, guess what? It should be the norm. And for some of you that may not understand this, like I said, I came from a denominational background. My wife and I laid hands on this woman who was very pregnant, nine months pregnant and ready to deliver this child. And she came to this altar standing right there and said, my doctors told me to abort this child. The spine is on the outside of his body, of, of, of its body. I remember it was a girl or boy. Just, was it a girl? This little girl. And so my wife and I are just walking over and she's telling us this. Okay. Wow. But she said, just pray for me. Because I told them, my God. Yes. So I want you to understand this. This isn't me or my wife. This is that woman's faith in action. And she said, my God, I told them, will take care of my child and me. I will have this baby. And you know, when someone comes with that kind of faith that draws the anointing in the glory of God, I don't even think we touched her head. A power, an unseen power, the glory of God hit her. She's lying on the ground. And I have to admit to you, I'm as human as you are. Did you know that? The first thought that came to my mind was, oh, Chuck, call a lawyer, we're going to have a lawsuit. This woman's going to start bleeding right here on the ground. And then she's just, she's just as pregnant as she could be without delivering and all that. I'm thinking, then I calmed down and just said, because really you're not ready for that. And boom, I mean, she hit the ground. And we didn't know anything about this for what, almost two years? Two years. At all. Had no idea what had happened. Went through the whole line and all that. And we've had many things happen supernaturally, okay? Which I don't want it any other way. Two years later, their son-in-law, Will Bridges, is in Georgia. And he's preaching there. And while he's preaching there, he has a table set up with some of our CDs and whatever from the church here, materials from the church here. And they walk over to him and just say, how do you know that church? He says, that's my church. That's where I go to church. That's where I came from. I'm just here ministering. Let me tell you something, they said. And they just gave the scenario that I just shared with you here. That was them. And said, we had to leave because we were transferred. We had to leave immediately. Didn't have a chance to contact anybody at the church and let them know what's going on. But we just want you to know that after she, my wife, after she left that service, she went back to the doctor where they did another whatever they do, a sonogram and all that stuff, and said, ma'am, you can have that baby now. There's no spina bifida. It's all gone. And here is our little girl to show you the proof. I know about you. That thrills my soul. 
Now, you want to call that crazy? Then call me crazy. But I've been to church for, I've never seen anything like this. That's sad. I'll be honest with you, that's sad. Because why shouldn't we want God to show up? Amen? Why wouldn't we want God to show up and show His power? I don't want to do what can cause the glory to fade or depart. I want us to do everything that's necessary for us, praise God, to invite it. Real quickly, I'm going to close here. The ark was a type of Jesus. Look at John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 14, ESV, English Standard Version of the Bible. You ready for this, saints of God? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. How many of you can quote that? How many can quote the latter part of it? And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He came as the manifestation of the glory of God. What was in the Ark of the Covenant is now in human form. Look at Hebrews chapter 1. He is now walking on the earth in human form, which is why he departed, the glory departed and left. Who being the brightness of God's glory, the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power. When he by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So when he walked upon the earth, he was the glory of God in manifestation everywhere he went. No wonder when they came to him in faith, they tapped into the power of the glory, the majesty of the living God, and they were delivered. They were set free. They were healed. Remember what he said? The anointing of God's upon me because he hath anointed priest the gospel to the poor. Send me to Heal the brokenhearted, preach them to the captives, recovery sight to the blind, selling the bruise, the priest, acceptable year of the Lord, and everywhere he went, that is what he did. He preached, he taught, and he healed. Because that was the glory of the Father on display in manifestation. Letting people know, I love you. I care about you. I want you saved. I want you healed. I want you delivered. I want you set free. I want you serving me, worshiping me, and honoring me with your life. Can you see? But look at this. There's another scoundrel. That's out there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world had blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel, or the gospel of glory in Christ who's the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, had shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the what? Of the what? Of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure where? In these pots of clay, these earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. The devil does not want you or me coming into contact with the glory of God. Because the glory saves, the glory heals, the glory delivers, and the glory sets people free. And he doesn't want us coming in contact with it. So what will he do? Make us religious and think that this is an obligation. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to be bored. I'm going to chew my gum. I'm going to pin on my tie. I'm going to do whatever I'm going to do. I may pay attention. I'll be on my phone and do whatever. Right? Yeah. To fade. So the glory could fade. But oh, my brother and my sister, when I go to church, I want to come to church with a spring in my step, with joy in my heart. Let us go to the house of the Lord and let us lift up our voices on high and magnify the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let's pray.
praise God. Hallelujah. Shout the praise of God this morning. Thank you, Lord. Glory be to God. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Whew, glory be to God. Thank you, Jesus. That's what we want. He's not a good luck charm. No, not at all, praise God. No, he's not a trophy to us. Just around here somewhere waiting for us to, you know. No, 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 no. Praise God. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last and everything in between. Son of God, Son of Man, Son of Righteousness with healing in His wings. He is the everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Ruler of the universe, and He's coming again in clouds of glory. And He is the one who's the healer in the house today. Praise the worship team. Come on up here if you would. Praise God. Do you remember when I said you come into contact with the glory, you cannot leave the same way you came. When Isaiah saw the Lord, he was high, he was lifted up, he was full of glory. The train filled the temple, the angels cried holy. He came into contact with the glory of God, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God. And when he saw him, there was clarity. This is God. I came out of that denomination. I thought that was God. That wasn't God. I got born again, spirit-filled, healed, delivered, and set free. That is God. That is God. Hallelujah. That who's God, who God is. He saves, he heals, he delivers, he sets free, he protects, he defends, he fights for you. That's the God we serve who's here today. Hallelujah. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound. And through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence to God first and then also to you. So whatever the situation, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you and God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and I'll accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.